Thank you, James, for your kind words. Good morning to all of you, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a great joy to be here this morning with you, to be able to worship our awesome God, to realize all that He is, and to consider all that He wants to do in our lives. I really want to take time just to rejoice with you over what He's doing here at your church at Cornerstone. We're so encouraged with the partnership that God has given us with you. In fact, only God knows how much you have encouraged our hearts in the ministry there in the Czech Republic. We thank you guys for that. On behalf of the church there, our church in Kladno, as well as the church in Usti, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for all you're doing and your prayers and your support and your encouragement that God is using to advance His kingdom there. Another very important special point of thanksgiving is for your standing Dale and Joan to minister the gospel. Fifteen months. That's a great joy for us as they've recently come, as they're there. And they've jumped right into ministry, of course, as you would expect. God has given them a real bond with the Czech people. They already have friendships, contacts from the last summer camp. Uh, they're uh, ministering with them, reaching out, making new contacts also. In the church just last Sunday, Dale preached the word. He continued in our series in the book of Acts. So we're just thankful to God for you and for the way that you're involved there in God's work and the progress of the gospel. Thank you guys for that. I also want to take a moment to thank you for sending just the last winter team that came. A number of you that are here joined us with that. Uh, being able to, in the winter, strengthen the believers in the church as we go off and retreat for about a week together. As we look forward to the summer, I want to thank you in advance for those that you're preparing to send on the coming summer team. And of course, not only the summer team, but with them, your dear pastor, James and Serene and the girls. They are, it's such a great joy for us to know that you're making that investment and in the statement of faith in what you believe and know that God will do through that time there. It's an amazing thought as we think what God does as we believe Him for that in prayer, isn't it? It's an amazing thought to consider that you here praying to God can be intimately involved in what God wants to accomplish across the world in a whole different place. It's amazing that you too praying here can believe God and trust Him to change the lives of many people around in this very place for His glory. He does that through prayer. God advances His kingdom through prayer. I want us to think about that this morning. The power of our God released through prayer. Tozer said it well. He said that prayer is truly the slender nerve that moves the mighty arm of our God. You know what? We know that. We believe that. Yet, strangely enough, in the business of life, the busyness of life and work, and even ministry, we so often languish in our communication with God. We wake up late. We rush off to school or work with no time to pray. Then we come home tired. We'd rather unwind than pray. It's so much easier to turn on the DVD or the iPod or computer than turn to God in prayer. And every time we come back to visit here in the U.S., I'm amazed at how life here has become even more busy, faster and more frenetic. There's fast food everywhere, almost every corner, isn't there? There's fast internet connections and faster driving on the freeways. In the midst of all the hurriedness, sustained fellowship with Christ is so often choked out. For many of us, delighting in God through prayer is often distracted by a myriad of other activities, even ministry. 
as Pastor James mentioned earlier, even as he led us in worship, we become too often like Martha, distracted by a myriad of preparations, rather than Mary, who did the one thing that was important and was at Christ's feet to commune with Him. As we begin this morning, let me ask you a question. How is your personal communion with Christ this week in prayer? Excuse me. Did you enjoy much unhurried fellowship with the Lord and pour out your heart before Him this week? I must confess that my days are often too lacking in communion with God through prayer. You know, I know that pastors and missionaries are supposed to be examples in every way. Their love for the Word and in prayer. But I realize that sometimes my life is not as it ought to be in an area of intimate prayer before the Father. For many of us, for most all of us, we love the Word. We love to study the Word. We love to go to Bible studies. We love to go to church with God's people. Yet somehow that intimate and vibrant communication with God dwindles with a hurried routine. For some of you this morning, you may be thinking, you know what? It's okay where it's at with me. I'm satisfied with my prayer life right now. Let me just say at the very outset this morning that if you're satisfied with a shallow prayer life, then you're satisfied with a shallow walk with God. So why should you even care about prayer? Why should you care about having a deepening, deepening love for God expressed through prayer? So what can we do to see God fill our hearts with a greater desire to closely fellowship with Him in prayer? How can we have a greater vitality in our prayer lives? Earlier we read Psalm 116. I want you to look again with me to that text of Scripture. A psalm that I believe God will use in our hearts this morning to challenge us anew to have lives that have a vibrant commitment to prayer to God. We prayed earlier, but let's pray again, asking God to open our hearts, opening our minds to the text that we're going to look at together. Let's pray again. Gracious God, we love You. We tremble at Your Word. Father, we marvel the fact that You have spoken forth so clearly that You've given that to us in a book that we can open the pages of Scripture and hear You speak to our hearts. Oh God, we pray that You do Your perfect work in each of our lives. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things, we pray, from Your Word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Before we look at these at this text of Scripture in Psalm 116, let me give you a brief backdrop to what's happening here. This psalm is a part of a cluster of psalms, actually of six psalms, beginning in Psalm 113 up to chapter 118. This section was a psalm of psalms were sung by the Jews during the Passover when they celebrated God's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. Our Lord would have sung these very songs or psalms with His disciples in the upper room before he went to the cross on Calvary. It doesn't tell us who wrote this psalm. We don't know. But one thing we know very clearly about the author is this, that he has a huge heart for Christ or for God that delights in praying to Him. The chapter verse simply divides into two sections. If you're taking notes and want a simple outline, first of all, verses 1 through 11, what God does for the believer who prays. What God does for the believer who prays. In the second section, verses 12 through 19, what the believer owes to God because of that. What God does for the believer, we're going to see three things He does for us in the first section. 
And then we're going to see three ways that we are to respond to Him as a result of what He does through prayer. You know, it's so good for us this morning to be, as it were, in the prayer chamber or prayer closet with this man of God as he lays open his heart before God in prayer. At the very outset of this psalm, he makes an amazing declaration. Look at the very first verse. He says, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. You know what? In the English language, we use love in a myriad of different ways, don't we? We say we love so many different things from all ranges of the spectrum. We say we love going to the beach and watching the beautiful sunset. Or we say that we just love weekends when there's no work. Or we love Korean barbecue. Last weekend, last Sunday after church, what a wonderful, delightful cultural experience at the Korean barbecue. Pastor James' father took us there. And I didn't know what I was in for. A wonderful time. And as we were there, Pastor James was sitting, his father was sitting right across from me at the table. He ordered, and then he began to put food on my plate. I thought I'd better get busy. And I began to eat away. And so, certainly, quickly, he began to put more food on my plate, so graciously. I thought I'd better work harder and catch up. And it was getting worse and worse and worse. <laughs> then he ordered a second order of all this more meat. And I thought, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> Thankfully, Pastor Bob was next to me on my left, and he said, Pastor Peter, he said, you have to stop. You have to leave food on your plate so he'll stop giving you more food. Thanks, Pastor Bob, wherever you are. Thank you. You know what? We love Korean barbecue. We say that. But there are things that we're going to see now that the author here of Psalm 116, he uses this word love in a completely deeper and different way. He uses the Hebrew word ahab, which describes a passionate delight and a strong affection, a close friendship with another person. Ahab is a love that has a strong emotional attachment for someone else. It's the eager desire to be in the presence of the object of one's love. I can remember clearly. It's been many days since seminary. But I remember my last semester in seminary had a bad attack of Ahab, love. Because I was engaged. I was engaged and what I would think about constantly was the object of my love. I wanted to be with Sonia. I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to be around her. And I wanted to be with her far more than I wanted to be with my Hebrew professor. <laughs> that was Ahab. The desire to be with her. You know, this writer, as he writes this psalm, he could have chosen a myriad of many different words for God, for God's name. But he selects one choice word. The word Yahweh. Yahweh. And he uses that word to speak of God's personal name. Fourteen times in this very chapter alone. Why? Because he loves to talk to God. He loves to talk to God in a personal, intimate way. We have to ask, though, what motivates that love for God? What motivates that intimate communion that he has toward God? Why all this ahab for God? We see in verse 1. He says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. Do you realize what the psalmist is saying here? He's saying that I love God for what He does for me. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't it sound selfish? Doesn't it sound self-centered? I love God for I get from Him. You know what? It sounds the way to us. But when we realize this, that friends, all our love for God is always in response to all that He has done for us. It is. 
1 John 4.19, we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. The writer has such strong affections for God because he knows that God is keenly alert to his prayers. God's alert. He listens. But God is more than just alert to our prayers, brothers and sisters. Verse 2 tells us that God has inclined his ear to our prayers. He's inclined his ears. He wants to hear our prayers. This pictures the big heartedness of a loving father who stoops down to give to his child who is in need. One of the new men in our church there in Kladno who came in February, his name is Yurka. He grew up in a home where he didn't know or understand the love of a father that cares. He never saw that. Instead, his heartless father was callous, was indifferent to his most basic needs as a boy. Yurka related to us how he would go in the kitchen when he was hungry to get something to eat. And his dad would yell at him and drive him out of the kitchen. It got so bad that finally Yurk was driven out of his house and began to be homeless as a child. He never understood a fatherly love that cared until he met his heavenly father that delights in hearing his every request and caring for him. Friends, that's the heavenly father that we know, isn't it? A heavenly father that has a compassionate and merciful heart for us who delights in hearing us come before Him and meeting our every need. He loves to come to our aid. And it's not, long, it's not wrong to love God for that. It's not. Notice now with me, in the first part of verse 3, how the writer describes the extreme situation that His Heavenly Father saved Him from. He says, The cords of death encompassed me, and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. What is he saying here? He's saying that death had literally stalked him, surrounded him, and subjected his soul to deep anxiety. That's why the psalmist continues and he writes, I found, or other translations say, suffered from distress and sorrow. These words are very important that we understand. Distress and sorrow. First of all, distress focuses on intense emotional pain. And sorrow stresses mental anxiety that one experiences. Emotional pain, mental anxiety. That's what the writer says he experiences as he runs to God in prayer. Maybe you too have felt burdened and overwhelmed with challenges that you face or are facing. It could be that you have begun to lose that sense of joy and peace because of a trial. Or it might be that you're struggling with some secret sin or anxious about a tough decision that you have to make. Look with me now at what the psalmist does in his desperate condition. Verse 4. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I beseech Thee, save my life. He turns to God in prayer. He does exactly what the prophet Jonah does when Jonah was jettisoned out of the ship in the ocean and finds himself in the stomach of the great fish. The words are incredibly similar. Listen to Joseph, excuse me, Jonah's graphic and similar plea for help in Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. Jonah writes, I called out of my distress to the Lord and He answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. Then verse 5, Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. 
The earth with its bars was around me forever, but you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah was rescued, just like the psalmist was, re- was rescued. The fellow believer, God delights in doing that. God delights in rescuing us when we run to Him in prayer. He did that in the writer's life here. He did that in Jonah's life, and He loves to do that in the lives of each and every one of us. Each and every one of us were drowning in the sea of sin. And God, as it were, threw out the lifeline of Christ to us and rescued us. We have to ask the question, why? Why would God care to save us when we were His wretched enemies, corrupt to the core and dead in our sins? Why would He do that? Why would He draw His circle around us to save us out of a world of lost sinners? Verse 5 tells us, the writer says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. You see, God saving and caring for us as His children is rooted in His mercy and kindness toward us. That's why He cares for us when we're in a desperate situation. He delights in helping the helpless. And that's exactly why the psalmist, as he continues to write in verse 6, testifies, the Lord preserves, the idea there is guards, the simple. I was brought low, and He saved me. Now, the word there for saved is the Hebrew word yasha. It's from the root from which we get the name Joshua and Jesus. It describes God's active love that rescues and helps anyone in a desperate situation. God saves. He rescues. And we, brothers and sisters, we're incredibly blessed that we have a God that loves hearing us and He loves helping us. But there's a third benefit. God not only hears us, He not only helps us, but verse 7 tells us that God provides for the believer that prays something else. Look at verse 7. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. He's describing rest. God is the soul's rest and gives it to us when we pray. You know, our hearts can get so agitated, can get so worked up with countless disappointments and discouragements. They can be big things, they can be small things. Yet, what do we do with these burdensome feelings when we have them? What do we do? You know, the proneness of our flesh is begin to think about them a lot, let them percolate, let them bang around in our minds. They begin to eat away at our hearts. Yet, what does, does the psalmist do here? He shows us something we've got to understand. He speaks to his own agitated soul. Look at verse 7 again. He says, Return to your rest, O my soul. He's speaking to his heart. He's not listening to his feelings. He's speaking to his heart. Christian, when you're discouraged, don't listen to the fickle and deceptive feelings that you have, whatever they may be. Speak the truth to your soul. Speak the truth of God's presence and of His power in your life. Recall to your mind the magnificence of God and all that He is, in, all that he is to you in Christ. That's exactly what the psalmist does in verse 8. He recounts how God had kept his soul from death, how God has kept his eyes from tears, and his feet from stumbling. 
He's remembering what God has done in the past. And because of that, his heart is infused with faith for the future. That's what he says. He says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. God gives rest to our weary souls and faith to press on as we pray. He wants us to look to Him. He wants to cry out to Him. Now, verses 10 and 11 are very interesting. How can the author be resting a God to take care of his soul, to ease his burden, and write what he does in verses 10 and 11? He says, I believed when I said, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all men are liars. Now, as I read that, it doesn't sound very optimistic to me. Not at all. What is he saying here? The words, I believed, of verse 10, probably don't refer to his believing that he was suffering or afflicted. He knows that. That was obvious to him. But rather, the I believe refers to the last part of verse 9. He believed that he would walk in the very presence of God. He had faith in that. And the statement that all men are liars, that elevates God as the only one who is completely worthy of our trust. All men are liars, but God alone is the one who is worthy of our trust. You know, there on the mission field in the Czech Republic, there have been many times, many people that have blessed us and that have brought incredible joy to our hearts on both sides of the ocean. There have also been those that have let us down and have broken our hearts. You know, those that have professed faith in Christ only to return to the world and chuck it all. Those that have ministered with us in the church and then cut themselves off from all fellowship with us. Those things hurt. Those are burdens. Yes, friends, relatives, and at times even fellow believers will disappoint us and let us down. Christians, we have to count on that. It'll happen. It happens. But God, in His mercy and His unchanging love, will never let us down. He'll never disappoint us. That's why we're called to look to Him, to cry out to Him in prayer. Instead, He promises to hear us, to help us, and to heal our hurting hearts. That's why we should pray. That's why we should turn to Him. You know, because of all that God does for us as we pray, the author asks the most pressing question in verse 12. He says, What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits toward me? In other words, God, I'll use so much. What can I do to somehow repay, to somehow show the depth of my gratitude? What can I do? Well, He tells us. He tells us what He should do and He tells us what we should do. The first thing, we should be incredibly thankful. Verse 13. I shall lift up the cup of salvation. What is He talking about? This perfectly parallels, He uses the same wording as in verse 15, in which He replaces the cup of salvation with a sacrifice of thanksgiving. He commits Himself to a sacrifice of thanksgiving. The cup of salvation most likely referred to the Old Testament drink offering, which is part of the Thanksgiving offering. It was offered to God. In fact, Numbers 15 describes that libation offering, the pour out offering to God, as a soothing aroma that ascends into His very presence. And we understand 
As New Testament Christians, we don't go to the local temple and offer sacrifice to God. But we are called to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give what? Thanks to His name. Friends, God has called us in response to all that He does for us in prayer to offer up a sacrifice of thanksgiving to Him. May God help us. May God cure us from ingratitude and from ungratefulness. Oh, that our conversations, that our prayers and our songs to God would be filled with a profound gratefulness to God for all He does for us. For God has opened the window of heaven. He has blessed us with His Son. He has given us every spiritual blessing, including answers to prayer. We, go, we owe God tremendous hearts of thanks. Well, what else? What else can we do to show God the gratitude that we have for what He does in answering prayer? The author continues in verse 13. He writes, I shall lift up the cup of salvation, now notice, and call upon the name of the Lord. This is absolutely fascinating. The author is saying, I will show God my appreciation for all he does in prayer by asking him for more. This is very strange for our Western type of thinking. Imagine that after church today, you go out to eat with a group of friends, and after the meal, you remember that you don't have your wallet with you. You're in trouble. What do you do? You probably turn to a brother or sister and say, you know what, I need you to help me. Can you spot me $15, whatever it's going to cost for the meal? They would do that, of course, with a smile. Then what would you do to show your appreciation to them? You would thank them. You'd say, you know what, I'll cover your meal next week when we go out. But the last thing in the world you do, you would never say, hey, would you please give me another $100? That wouldn't show appreciation, would it? That would show something completely opposite. They would feel used, but not with God. What God is saying, when we realize all He does for us in prayer, He says, if you want to show your thankfulness to me, ask me for more. Believe me for even more. The right response to receiving from God and the way to show appreciation to Him is to ask Him for even more. Why? Because our God has a limitless resource and delights in hearing us call upon Him. You may saying, I'm not so convinced of this. I'm not really sure I'm supposed to keep asking for more to show God I really appreciate what He does for me in prayer. Just to be certain of this, look again at verse 2. The psalmist said the very same thing. Because He has inclined His ear to me, therefore I shall call upon Him as long as I live. And in verse 17, he says the same thing. To thee I shall offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. He's believing and trusting God for more things in prayer. Do you remember what Jeremiah said? And how God told Jeremiah what he was to do in trusting him? He says, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Do you want to show your appreciation to God this morning? God wants you to be thankful. And God also wants you to call upon Him more and more. Trust Him to use you in new ways to minister here at CBC. Believe Him for the strength to put to death the needs of the flesh and to walk in holiness. Ask Him to powerfully use your life beyond your greatest imagination for His glory.
You know what? He'll answer you. And he, then he wants you to repay him by asking him for even more. George Mueller was a man who asked of God great things in prayer. Not only to care for thousands and thousands of orphans in England, but also ask God for the salvation of his unbelieving friends. There were five of his closest friends that were unbelievers that he had a desire, deep desire to see God save. He began to pray for them. He prayed for five long years and the first of those five came to Jesus Christ. Well, Mueller prayed on for ten more years and another two were saved. Mueller continued to trust God for greater things and he persisted twenty more long years praying for that last friend. And just a few months after he died and went to glory, that last friend came to know Jesus Christ. What does that show us? God shows, that shows that God wants us to believe Him for great things. God wants us to pray and trust Him to do the impossible through prayer. Friends, God eagerly awaits your calling upon Him in prayer and trusting Him for the impossible. The psalmist does that and actively trusts God for His life and for His death. And that's what he speaks of in verse 15. He affirms that the death of godly ones or saints is a precious thing in God's eye. Why does he say that? How is it a precious thing when a godly one, a saint, goes to glory? Because in that God honors that heart of faith that trusts Him for everything after death, after the grave, for life. God is honored when we trust Him in life and in death. And that's the very faith that is illustrated in verse 16, where the writer speaks of himself as a home-born slave. A home-born slave who has a special right, special right to trust that father for things, to be treated fairly. He knew he had a relationship with God, that he could trust God to answer his prayer, to glorify himself in his life. So we show our thanksgiving to God by thanking him, by actively trusting Him, and lastly and thirdly, by publicly praising God. Verse 14. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. O may it be in the presence of all His people. And verse 18 repeats this very longing, the very same thing he reiterates. Why is it so important to this psalmist that he praises God before God's people? Why? Because he knows that God's work in his life through prayer must be shared with others. Others must be able to rejoice with him in that. He can't wait to testify of what God has done in his life through prayer. And he anticipates being with God's people who are redeemed in the temple of Jerusalem. He talks about that in verse 19. He loves to be with those people so he can recount and testify what God has done in his life through prayer. As God grows us in vital communion with Him in prayer, He will give us that very longing to testify of His goodness before the saints. Now, this should be our great anticipation. Before we prepare to go to a Bible study, our Sunday morning with God's people, that we'd be able to testify and share what God has done in our life that week for His glory. To rehearse all that He has done through prayer. It's been a joy to see God change the lives of His saints there in Clodno. Some of the new believers, just seeing them grow in their prayer lives has been such an encouragement to my life. Many of you have prayed for little Honza, young Honza. He's not that little anymore. He's taller than me. 
But God has done a great thing, given him huge faith and prayer. By God's grace, God allowed him to be baptized. And he goes, he's in high school now, and he's working very hard to get good grades and be a testimony, both to his unsaved parents as well as to his classmates. He shared with us about a month ago what happened as he went into a chemistry class that very week. He went to class not realizing, not remembering that he had forgotten to study for the major exam that day. He cried out to God. He said, God, help me. Help me, please, God. You know my situation. No sooner had he finished praying, there was a knock on the door. The teacher opened the door and in walked another professor and made the announcement because their class had won some contest three weeks ago, they had a special privilege of celebrating that very day. Class was canceled. They went out to eat together. <laughs> Hansa was elated. Hansa had to testify immediately. He's the only Christian in that whole, in that whole school. He said to his atheistic classmates, do you know why we don't have that test today? He said, because I know a personal God and I prayed to Him and He answered. You know what, brothers and sisters? God hears our prayers. And God delights in answering so that we can put His glory on display before His people. And the psalmist closes this song of praise to God with one word that expresses all that is in His heart because of all that God has done through prayer. What is the word that he uses? Well, in English, it's three words. Praise the Lord. In Hebrew, it's one. Hallelujah. And fellow believers, it's only fitting and right before God this morning that I give you opportunity to testify of the greatness of our God before God's people this morning. Let me ask you this morning. If you are filled with thanks to God for how He promises to always hear your prayers, would you with a resounding praise the Lord say praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. Good. Secondly, if you are grateful that God has rescued your life from sin and death, would you say, Hallelujah? Hallelujah. Amen. And if you want to bless Him for how He alone can give your soul rest and peace, let's together say, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord together in prayer. Father, we bless Your name that You are our personal God. Father, that You are one who promises to be to us all that we need in any difficult situation. Father, thank You for the assurance that we have in prayer that You hear us, that You answer us. Father, thank You that You delight in meeting us at our very point of need. Father, You know the things that are on the hearts of each one this morning. Are the things that would rob your children from peace, the anxiety, the cares, the worries. Oh God, may it be that each one of us this morning would give those to you, that we entrust these things to you with confidence that you'll give us your peace. Father, when we consider all that you do for us, Father, we realize the great debt of love that we owe to you. Oh God, accept our thanks as we corporately tell you how much we love you. Father, as we praise you and thank you for being a God to us that is beyond anything the world can ever give to us. Father, may it be that we learn more actively to trust you. Help us this week, Father, to take active steps of trusting you with those things that we need to trust you in. Father, may we look forward to how we can corporately praise you in the coming days together with your people. Father, we bless your name for all that you have done, for all that you are, 
the joy that we have of being your own. And we say this together in Christ's name. Amen.